Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Good evening. By pressing play, you've unlocked a door with the key of imagination. Beyond is another dimension, a dimension of sound, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. Welcome to Agoraphobia, the Agora Podcast Network's spooktacular month of ghoulishly engaging content, celebrating the spirit of the Halloween season. So turn on all the lights, check all the closets and cupboards, look under the beds, and continue if you dare. As we continue to survey this land of ash and slag, now comes Chris Stewart, host of the History of China podcast, traveling outside his comfort zone of strange stories of the Middle Kingdom, turns instead to an all-too-familiar tale of plague and partying in Poe's prophetic Mask of the Red Death. The Mask of the Red Death by Edgar Allan Poe, published 1842. The Red Death had long devastated the country. No pestilence had ever been so fatal or so hideous. Blood was its avatar and its seal. The madness and the horror of blood. There were sharp pains and sudden dizziness and then profuse bleeding at the pores with dissolution. The scarlet stains upon the body, and especially upon the victim's face, were the pest ban which shut him out from the aid and from the sympathy of his fellow man, and the whole seizure, progress, and termination of the disease were incidents of half an hour. But Prince Prospero was happy and dauntless and sagacious. When his dominions were half depopulated, he summoned to his presence a thousand hale and light-hearted friends from among the knights and dames of his court, and with these retired to the deep seclusion of one of his crenellated abbeys. This was an extensive and magnificent structure, the creation of the prince's own eccentric yet august taste. 
A strong and lofty wall girdled it in. This wall had gates of iron. The courtiers, having entered, brought furnaces and massy hammers and welded the bolts. They resolved to leave means neither of ingress nor egress to the sudden impulses of despair or frenzy from within. The abbey was amply provisioned. With such precautions, the courtiers might bid defiance to contagion. The external world could take care of itself. In the meantime, it was folly to grieve or to think. The prince had provided all the appliances of pleasure. There were buffoons. There were improvisatori. There were ballet dancers. There were musicians. There was beauty. There was wine. All these, and security, were within. Without was the Red Death. It was close to the fifth or sixth month of his seclusion that the Prince Prospero entertained his thousand friends at a masked ball of the most unusual magnificence. It was a voluptuous scene, that masquerade. But first, let me tell you of the rooms in which it was held. There were seven, an imperial suite in many palaces. However, such suites form a long and straight vista, while the folding doors slide back nearly to the walls on either hand, so that the view of the whole extent is scarcely impeded. Here, the case was very different, as might have been expected from the Duke's love of the bizarre. The apartments were so irregularly disposed that the vision embraced but little more than one at a time. There was a sharp turn at the right and left, in the middle of each wall. A tall and narrow Gothic window looked out upon a closed corridor of which pursued the windings of the suite. These windows were of stained glass, whose color varied in accordance to the prevailing hue of the decorations of the chamber into which it opened. That at the eastern extremity was hung, for example, in blue, and vividly blue were its windows. The second chamber was purple in its ornaments and tapestries, and here the panes were purple. The third was green throughout, and so were the casements. The fourth was furnished and lighted with orange, the fifth with white, the sixth with violet. The seventh apartment was closely shrouded in black velvet tapestries that hung all over the ceiling and down the walls, falling in heavy folds upon a carpet of the same material and hue. But in this chamber only, the color of the windows failed to correspond to the decorations. The panes were scarlet, a deep blood color. Now, in no one of any of the seven apartments was there any lamp or candelabrum amid the profusion of golden ornaments that lay scattered to and fro and depended from the roof. There was no light of any kind emanating from lamp or candle within the suite of chambers. But in the corridors that followed the suite, there stood, opposite each window, a heavy tripod bearing a brazier of fire that projected its rays through the tinted glass and so glaringly lit the room. And thus were produced a multitude of gaudy and fantastic appearances. But in the western or back chamber, the effect of the firelight that streamed through the dark hangings through the blood-tinted panes was ghastly in the extreme, and produced so wild a look upon the countenances of those who entered that there were few of the company bold enough to set foot within its precincts at all. It was within this apartment also that there stood against the western wall a gigantic clock of ebony. Its pendulum swung to and fro with a dull, heavy, monotonous clang. 
And when the minute hand made the circuit of the face, and the hour was to be stricken, there came from the brazen lungs of the clock a sound which was clear and loud and deep and exceedingly musical, but of so peculiar a note and emphasis that, at each lapse of an hour, the musicians of the orchestra were constrained to pause momentarily in their performance to hearken to the sound. And thus the Walters, perforce, ceased their evolutions, and there was a brief disconcert of the whole gay company. And while the chimes of the clock yet rang, it was observed that the giddiest grew pale, and the more aged and sedate passed their hands over their brows, as if in confused reverie or meditation. But when the echoes had fully ceased, a light laughter at once pervaded the assembly. The musicians looked at each other and smiled, as if at their own nervousness and folly, and made whispering vows, each to the other, that the next chiming of the clock should produce in them no similar emotion. And then, after the lapse of sixty minutes, which embraced three thousand and six hundred seconds of time that flies, there came yet another chiming of the clock, and then were the same disconcert and tremulousness and meditation as before. But in spite of these things, it was a gay and magnificent revel. The tastes of the Duke were peculiar. He had a fine eye for color and effect. He disregarded the decora of mere fashion. His plans were bold and fiery, and his conceptions glowed with barbaric luster. There are some who would have thought him mad. His followers felt that he was not. It was necessary to hear and see and touch him to be sure that he was not. He had directed, in great part, the movable embellishments of the seven chambers, upon occasion of this great feat, and it was his own guiding taste which had given character to the masqueraders. To be sure, they were grotesque. There were much glare and glitter and piquancy and phantasm, much of what has been seen in Hernani. There were arabesque figures with unsuited limbs and appointments. There were delirious fancies such as the madman fashions. There were much of the beautiful, much of the wanton, much of the bizarre, something of the terrible, and not a little of that which might have excited disgust. To and fro in the seven chambers stalked, in fact, a multitude of dreams. And in these dreams writhed in and about, taking hue from the rooms and causing the wild music of the orchestra to seem as the echo of their steps. And anon, there strikes the ebony clock which stands in the hall of the velvet. And then, for a moment, all is still and all is silent save the voice of the clock. The dreams are stiff frozen as they stand. But the echoes of the chime die away. They have endured but an instant. And a light, half-subdued laughter floats after them as they depart. And now the music swells, and the dreams live and writhe to and fro, more merry than ever, taking hue from the many tented windows through which stream the rays of the tripods. 
but to the chamber which lies most westwardly of the seven, there are now none of the maskers who venture. For the night is waning away, and there flows a ruddier light through the blood-colored panes, and the blackness of the sable drapery appalls. And to them whose foot falls on the sable carpet, there comes from the near clock of ebony a muffled peal more solemnly emphatic than any which reaches their ears who indulge in the more remote gaieties of the other apartments. But these other apartments were densely crowded, and in them beat feverishly the heart of life. And the revel went whirlingly on, until at length there commenced the sound of midnight upon the clock. And then the music ceased, as I have told, and the evolutions of the Walters were quieted, and there was an uneasy cessation of all things as before. But now there were twelve strokes to be sounded by the bell of the clock, and thus it happened, perhaps that more of thought crept with more of time into the meditations of the thoughtful among those who reveled. And thus, too, it happened that before the last echoes of the last chime had utterly sunk into silence, there were many individuals in the crowd who had found leisure to become aware of the presence of a masked figure which had arrested the attention of no single individual before. And the rumor of this new presence having spread itself whisperingly around, there arose at length from the whole company a buzz or murmur of horror and of disgust. In an assembly of phantasms such as I have painted, it may well be supposed that no ordinary appearance could have excited such sensation. In truth, the masquerade license of the night was nearly unlimited, but the figure in question had out-Heroded Herod and had gone beyond the bounds of even the prince's indefinite decorum. There are chords in the heart of the most reckless which cannot be touched without emotion. Even with the utterly lost, to whom life and death are all equally jests, there are matters of which no jest can be made. The whole company, indeed, seemed now deeply to feel that in the costume and bearing of the stranger, neither wit nor propriety existed. The figure was tall and gaunt, and shrouded from head to foot in the habiliments of the grave. The mask which concealed the visage was made so nearly to resemble the countenance of a stiffened corpse that the closest scrutiny must have difficulty in detecting the cheat. And yet all of this might have been endured, if not approved, by the mad revelers around. But the mummer had gone so far as to assume the type of the Red Death. His vesture was dabbled in blood, and his broad brow with all the features of his face, was besprinkled with that scarlet horror. When the eyes of Prince Prospero fell on this spectral image, which, with a slow and solemn movement, as if more fully to sustain its role, stalked to and fro among the waltzers, he was seen to be convulsed in the first moment with a strong shudder of either terror or distaste. But in the next, his brow reddened with rage. Who dares... He demanded hoarsely of the courtiers who stood near him. Who dares insult us with this blasphemous mockery? Seize him and unmask him, that we may know whom we have to hang at sunrise from the battlements. It was in the eastern or blue chamber in which stood Prince Prospero as he uttered these words. They rang throughout the seven rooms loudly and clearly, for the prince was a bold and robust man, and the music had become hushed at the waving of his hand. It was in the blue room where stood the prince with a group of pale courtiers by his side. 
At first, as he spoke, there was a slight rushing movement of this group in the direction of the intruder, who, at the moment, was also near at hand. And now, with deliberate and stately step, made closer approach to the speaker. But from a certain nameless awe, with which the mad assumptions of the mummer had inspired the whole party, there were found none who put forth a hand to seize him, so that, unimpeded, he passed within a yard of the prince's person. And while the vast assembly, with one impulse, shrank from the centers of the room to the walls, he made his way uninterruptedly, but with the same solemn and measured step which had distinguished him from the first, through the blue chamber to the purple, to the purple to the green, through the green to the orange, through this again to the white, and even thence to the violet, ere a decided movement had been made to arrest him. It was then, however, that the Prince Prospero, maddened with rage and the shame of his own momentary cowardice, rushed hurriedly through the six chambers, while none followed him on account of a deadly terror that has seized upon all. He bore aloft a drawn dagger, and had approached in rapid impetuosity to within three or four feet of the retreating figure, when the latter, having attained the extremity of the velvet apartment, turned suddenly and confronted his pursuer. There was a sharp cry, and the dagger dropped, gleaming upon the sable carpet, upon which almost instantly afterward fell prostrate in death the Prince Prospero. Then, summoning the wild courage of despair, a throng of the revelers at once threw themselves into the black apartment, and seizing the mummer, whose tall figure stood erect and motionless within the shadow of the ebony clock, gasped in unutterable horror at finding the grave cerements and corpse-like mask, which they handled with so violent a rudeness, untenanted by any tangible form. And now was acknowledged the presence of the Red Death. He had come like a thief in the night, and one by one dropped the revelers in the blood-bedewed halls of their revel, and died each in the despairing posture of his fall. And the life of the ebony clock went out with that of the last of the gay, and the flames of the tripods expired, and darkness and decay and the Red Death held illimitable dominion over all. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. To close the lid on today's proverbial coffin, we next turn to agoraphobia neophyte, Nia Clark, host of the Dreams of Black Wall Street podcast, for a glimpse into the practice and power of hoodoo. My name is Nia Clark, and my podcast is called Black Wall Street 1921. It chronicles history and events related to the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. Initially, Black Wall Street 1921 was supposed to be a one-season limited series podcast. However, creating this podcast shows me that there are many people who want to know about important parts of our history that have largely been ignored, suppressed, or written out of history. So I've decided to extend the podcast for several more seasons. My podcast will now be called Dreams of Black Wall Street. The second season will focus on other thriving Black communities in Florida that were emblematic of the experiences of Black people at the time, many of whom simply wanted to figure out a way to pull themselves out of poverty, to rise above their station in life, and to make a good life for them and or their families. That said, this is supposed to be a Halloween-themed scary story. However, I have really struggled with this one. First of all, I'm not a fictional writer. Secondly, because my podcast deals with a subject matter that includes a lot of violence and oppression of a marginalized group of people, I find it really difficult to figure out how to create a fictional scary narrative around that period. So I've decided instead of creating a scary story around my podcast topic, to read you a traditional bit of African-American folklore. In this case, a scary story created by a Black American that has been passed down through the generations and is symbolic of some of their lived experiences. You're going to hear the word conjure a lot. Now, hoodoo, which is also known as root work or conjure, was brought to the Americas by African slaves. And due to its origins, hoodoo was first a tradition of protection and practicality. Quote, in the era of slavery, questions of security loomed large in African-American experience, writes Yvonne Chirot in Conjure and Christianity in the 19th Century, Religious Elements in African-American Magic. Quote, for its part, Conjure spoke directly to the slaves' perceptions of powerlessness and danger by providing alternative, but largely symbolic, means for addressing suffering. The conjuring tradition allowed practitioners to defend themselves from harm and to cure their ailments and to achieve some conceptual measure of control over personal adversity, end quote. Now, according to Zora Neale Hurston, who wrote about this tradition and its history, the practice itself evolved from a combination of African spirituality and Christian rituals that slaves newly encountered in the Americas. Now, here's a little excerpt about it in a Vice article called Black Magic, Hoodoo witches speak out on the appropriation of their craft. Quote, though hoodoo itself, not to be confused with voodoo, 
stems from an appropriation of sorts. The Southern folk magic is still intimately tied to its uniquely African-American history. This is particularly apparent in the specific uses for hoodoo spells, many of which are for security, stemming from the violence and disregard that enslaved Blacks endured. Common rituals include carrying a little bag of garlic and brimstone on the person to safeguard you, and walking backward into your house and then forward to ensure that no one will harm you, Hurston writes in Hoodoo in America. Today, this manifests in reblogging sigils, a painted symbol said to have magical powers, like that which circulated on Tumblr among Hoodoo practitioners to protect people of Ferguson during the unrest following police violence and the killing of Mike Brown in the summer of 2014. There are fun spells too, of course. Those looking for love can ask a hoodoo witch to guide them through this charm, save some of your menstrual blood, and add it to the food or drink of the person you want to marry. Without their knowledge, after they consume it, they'll forever be in love with you. And now, Brazil Robinson, possessed of two spirits. Brazil Robinson, recently deceased, is a Negro of about 75 years of age and came to our plantation immediately after the war to test the question of whether he was really free or not and had the right to move from his former master's place. He soon established a reputation as a foreseer of events, as a root doctor, would advise Negroes when to plant their garden, when to expect rain, administered in a medical way to the many wants of the community in which he lived. Brazil had a peculiar habit when anyone asked him a question of asking you please to give him a chew of tobacco so that he could collect his thoughts before answering you. The following statement is given in his own words. Quote, I am not a preacher, but a member of the church, but I can make a few remarks in church. I have a seat in conference. I can see spirits. I have two spirits, one that prowls around and one that stays in my body. The reason I have two spirits is because I was born with a double call. People can see spirits if they are born with one call, but nobody can have two spirits unless they are born with a double call. Very few people have two spirits. I was walking along and met a strange spirit, and then I heard a stick crack behind me and turned around and heard my prowling spirit tell this strange spirit it was me, not to bother me. And then the strange spirit went away and left me alone. My two spirits are good spirits and have power over evil spirits, and unless my mind is evil, can keep me from harm. If my mind is evil, my two spirits try to win me. If I won't listen to them, then they leave me and make room for evil spirits, and then I'm lost forever. Mine have never left me, and they won't if I can help it, as I shall try to keep in the path." End quote. Here, he took the quid of tobacco out of his mouth and rolling it in his hand for a few minutes, resumed, quote, spirits are around about all the time. Dogs and horses can see them as well as people. They don't walk on the ground. I see them all the time, but I never speak to one unless he speaks to me first. I just walk along as if I saw nothing. You must never speak first to a spirit. When he speaks to me and I speak back, I always cross myself. And if it is a good spirit, it tells me something to help me. If it is a bad spirit, it disappears. It can't stand the cross. Sometimes two or more spirits are together, but they are either all good or all bad spirits. They don't mix like people on earth. 
good and bad together. Quote, good spirits have more power than bad spirits, but they can't help the evil spirits from doing us harm. We were all born to have trouble and only God can protect us. Sometimes the good spirits let the evil spirits try to make you fall, but I won't listen to the evil spirits. Quote, when a person sees a spirit, he can tell whether it is a good spirit or a bad spirit by the color. Good spirits are always white and bad spirits are always black. When a person sees a bad spirit, it sometimes looks like a black man with no head and then changes into a black cat, dog, or hog, or cow. Sometimes the cow has only one horn and it stands out between the eyes. I never saw them change into a black bird. A man told me he saw one in the shape of a black owl, but I have seen good spirits change into white doves, but never saw one in shape of a cat. Have seen them in the shape of men and children, some with wings and some without, then I have seen them look like a mist or a small white cloud. When a person is sick and meets good spirits near enough to feel the air from their bodies or wings, he generally gets well. And one can feel the spirit passing by, though only a few can see it. I've seen a great many together at one time, but that was generally about dusk. I never saw them flying two or three along together. Good and bad spirits fly, but a bad spirit can't fly away up high in the air. He is obliged to stay close to the ground. If a person follows a bad spirit, it will lead him into all kinds of bad places, in ditches, breers. A bad spirit is obliged to stay in the body where it was born all the time. If one has two spirits, the one outside wanders about. It is not always with you. If it is near and sees in a danger, it comes and tells the spirit inside of you so it can keep you from harm. Sometimes it can't, for the danger is greater than any spirit can ward off. Then one's got to look higher. I've heard spirits talk to themselves. They talk in a whisper like, sometimes you can tell what they're saying and sometimes you can't. I don't think the spirit in the body has to suffer for the sins of the body it is in, as it is always telling you to do right. I can't tell, some things are hidden from us. Quote, people born with a call generally live to be old. The call is always buried in a graveyard. Quote, children born with a call talk sooner than other children and have a lot more sense. Quote, I was conjured in May 1898 while hoeing cotton. I took off my shoes and hoed two rows. Then I felt strange. My feet began to swell and then my legs and then I couldn't walk. I had to stop and go home. Just as I stepped in the house, I felt the terriblest pain in my gents. I sat down and thought, and then looked at my shoes. I found some yaller dirt and knew it was graveyard dirt. Then I knew I was conjured. I then hunted about to find if there was any conjure in the house and found a bag under my doorstep. I opened the bag and found some small roots about an inch long, some black hair, a piece of snakeskin, and some graveyard dirt, dark yaller, right off some coffin. I took the bag and dug a hole in the public road in front of my house and buried it with the dirt out of my shoes and throwed some red pepper all around the house. I didn't get any better and went and saw a root doctor who told me he could take off the conjure. He gave me a cup of tea to drink and build up something and put it in a jug to wash my feet and legs with. But it ain't done me much good. He ain't got enough power. I am going to see one in Augusta who has great power and can tell me who conjured me. They say root doctors have power over spirits who will tell them who does the conjuring. They generally use herbs gathered on the changes of the moon and must be got at night. People get conjured from the root doctors and one root doctor often works against another. 
the one that has the most power doesn't work. Quote, people get most conjured by giving them snakes, heads, lizards, and scorpions, dried and beat up into powder and putting it in the food or water they drink, and then they get full of varmint. I saw a root doctor cut out of a man's leg a lizard and a grasshopper, and then he got well. Some conjure ain't to kill, but to make a person sick or make him have pain, and then conjure is put on the ground in the path where the person to be conjured goes. It was put down on a young moon, a growing moon, so the conjure will rise up and grow, so the person stepping over it will get conjured. Sometimes they roll it up in a ball and tie it to a string and hang it from a limb so the person to be conjured coming by touches the ball and the work's done and he gets conjured in the part that strikes the ball. The ball is small and tied to a thread so a person can't see it. There are many ways to conjure. I knew a man that was conjured by putting graveyard dirt under his house in small piles and it almost killed him and his wife. The dirt made holes in the ground, for it will always go back as deep as you got it. It goes down to where it naturally belongs. Quote, only root doctors can get the graveyard dirt. They know what kind to get. And when the haints won't let everybody get it, they must get it, throw some kind of spell, for the graveyard dirt works trouble till it gets back into the ground and then wears off. It must get down to the same depth it was took from, that is, as deep as the coffin lid, was from the surface of the ground. A warm welcome back to those of you who made it back, and a little bit of advice to take with you before you go. Not all knowledge is safe, and some things you can't unhear. The smartest of you will count your blessings and stay clear of dark corners and dangerous downloads. But those of you more daring who laugh in the face of fear will undoubtedly be back like a moth drawn to the flame for the next installment of Agoraphobia. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do 
and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.